I live in Israel. This season is dedicated to the memory of the 1,400 of my countrymen who were massacred on October 7th, and the 240 people that were kidnapped and are being held hostage by the terrorist organization Hamas. Hopefully they will be returned to their families as soon as possible, and hopefully this terrible war will be able to come to a peaceful end very soon. Welcome to Minute 2 of Season 6 of Movie a Minute, the daily podcast where we take a Capra-esque journey through the 1946 classic It's a Wonderful Life, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Jay Cluett of the Deep Blue Sea Pod. Welcome back to the show, Jay. Thank you, Rob. Thrilled to be back. Very, very nice to have you back to talk about credits. <laughs> we, we leave the credits. Yes. We, yeah. see, we have some credits, and then we enter the credits, and we're in a town, and we hear people. That's right. We hear them. That's right. So minute two begins with the end of the seventh credit uh, sheet and ends with the screen fading to black. I guess we're, we're done with the movie at this point. That, that, that would be my assumption. You know, so. So, yeah, yesterday we, we, we started things off and we talked about all the seven credit uh, sheets that we get to see at the beginning. Uh, there was a lot to talk about. You know, and today we'll, we'll try to get into a, a little bit more of the meat of the story. Who knows? And the first credit that we get here after moving past the seventh one is a, another one with, with part of the crew. We have the film editor, William Hornbeck, sound by Richard Van Hessen and Clem Portman, costumes by Edward Stevenson, and assistant director Arthur S. Black. Uh, no, not a lot of these days. No, no, not really. Not too many. Are you, are you familiar? Are you familiar with anyone named Clem? I don't know. I'm guessing it's, it's a shortened version of Clement, Clement Attlee, kind of thing. Clementine. Probably. For, for women. My my darling Clementine, you mean? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the very same. I mean, yeah, don't. It's not a name you hear these days. No. Let's bring Clem back. No. Well, there's Clem. I know there's Clarence Clement. That's his last name. Is is the Clem? Yeah, so uh, Clem Portman was a sound man who, his, his full name was Clement Augustus Portman. He was born on March 1st, 1905 in Illinois, and he died on October 21st, 1992 in San Clemente, California. His son, wow, his son is Richard Portman. Have you ever heard of him? I have not. He was in the sound department also. Uh, you know, it's one of the things we talked about when we were finishing up Die Hard 2 about that that many people are, uh, you know, it it can sometimes be a family, you know, uh, career working behind the scenes in movies. You know, there are a lot of people who, uh, you know, they they take up the job after their their parents or or siblings and stuff like that. You see it see a lot with stuntmen also. Very much like George Bailey. Yes, that is true. <laughs> That is true. Um, so Richard Portman was a sound guy who was actually part of Star Wars. He, he was in the sound department on, on, um, as we talked about yesterday, Star Wars, the original Star Wars, not episode four, New Hope. <laughs> sure. 
you know, later on it began that he also was on the sound department, the Godfather, the deer hunter, Nashville. He had 185 credits in uh, the sound department. I've, I've actually heard of him before, which is why, you know, his name jumped out at me uh, hearing, you know, Richard Portman. He, he won an Oscar for his work on the deer hunter. And I mean, he had a whole bunch of other nominations, but uh, that was the only win that he got. So, yeah, I guess, I guess it is a uh, familial thing. I mean, he, he passed away in 2017 with all of this. So you see that, that that's what we get from, from Clem to Clem to, to, to Richard Portman. <laughs> there you go. You see the, the, the rabbit hole of uh, IMDb. It will take you, it'll take you places you never expected to go. MPPDA certification number you know it talks about the, the sound systems which you know these are things that still use nowadays uh slightly different obviously and most people don't see them because they're at the very end of the movie as opposed to being at the beginning of the second minute and i mean one of the things i noticed here yesterday and today is they take a long time at each of these credits you know they they, they pause to read them that's right no but i think they give you more than enough time to read them that's my point yeah you know, and then uh, the, the next credit slide we get is uh, produced and directed by Frank Capra. Now, a little I, dancing I, Santa. Is that a dancing Santa? I thought it was a Santa like kicking someone in the butt. That's what I, I mean, would think. <laughs> I, either is acceptable. There, there is no butt present to be kicked, nor is there music to be listened to. Well, there are bells in the opposite corner. Uh, but maybe he's about to kick over a little little Christmas tree and knock over a whole row of them. Right. I mean, there are 10 Christmas trees uh, that, that are in the picture there. Now, I mean, 10, 10 next to him. There's one above. But uh, what, what I found, I, I just thought it was really funny that they, they show a picture of, it, it does not look like Santa dancing. And, and the fact that Frank Capra had a, uh, you know, people, people thought of him as a very, uh, you know, cruel director. <laughs> that maybe that, that was someone's joke on Frank Capra by putting a, a a Santa there basically, you know, kicking someone's butt because that's what maybe Capra would do on, on screen or on the set. Uh, yeah, fair enough. I, I, again, it's a guess. I, I don't know. <laughs> it seems like it, it is would, an, it would an, make an, sense. an unusual pose to leave. Yeah, it's an unusual pose to put Santa in. It's not that's the right. kind of that's my point. <laughs> traditional, yeah, yeah. Maybe they had the original draft was just him stood there. Like, this is boring. Do something. That's right. Just rotate the leg up. That's how he can kick someone. <laughs> yeah. And as with uh, most movies, this was this is the final credit before the the movie begins, and we get a uh, finally get to see something that real that's going on here, and we see a sign that says, "You are now in Bedford Falls," which I find very yes. interesting that 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 it's stated that way as opposed to saying. Uh, entering Bedford Falls or Bedford Falls, uh, you know, city limits or something like that. You know, to say that you I now... had the same thought. Yeah. You know, my, my... Uh, location sign that says you are now in. That's right. Like, now entering Bedford Falls. Please drive carefully. That's right. It's the kind of thing I would expect. Right. I, I think the, the idea is to basically say, you know, we are now taking you out of space and time and putting you in Bedford Falls. This is where this whole movie but you, gets the, the watcher of this film. That's yeah. right. This isn't the actual sound in a normal time. This is a movie set, movie sign. Correct. Or movie town. Right. 
Now, what I also find interesting is that this entire movie takes place in Bedford Falls. There's not a single scene that doesn't take place in Bedford Falls. I mean, we're about to see some stuff in space. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. If you're talking about on Earth, okay. <laughs> Anything happening? And how do you know that that's not taking place right above Bedford Falls, within the Bedford Falls, you know, uh, city limits, okay. but but higher You've up? Got to get into air rights into space. <laughs> this is going to be a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, we would need Jim here but, for that to start talking about that. <laughs> and do do you notice that in the background you can see? The the welcome home sign. Yes, welcome home, Harry Bader. I did spot that. Yeah. That's right. I've never noticed that before. Uh, I was doing the the research here. You know, something that you because they they want you to focus on the Bedford Falls sign, and you don't you don't even notice that uh, you know the other sign behind it. So, yeah, you have to be looking for it. Let's put it that way. And we are. Yes, that that we are, and we see all the fake snow. Uh, coming down, and then we get a shot of the, the the street itself, which once again filled with snow. Yeah, uh, probably cheaper than the snow from Die Hard too. Not by much, because it, well, cheaper. Wait, with inflation or without inflation? Without. <laughs> because you know, with inflation, it probably would be about the same. That's that would be my guess. Now, do you do you know when when this movie is theoretically supposed to be taking place? I know you hate when I talk about these things in in with Die Hard trying to figure it out, but you know, I don't, no, I, I don't I don't hate when you talk about it. I hate when you talk about it every week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but hey, it's your podcast. You do what you want. Uh, so, I mean, my guess is it's supposed to be Christmas Eve of I'm gonna guess forty five. Or is it supposed to be 46? It's supposed to be 45 because okay. because Harry just just uh, you know he's on his way home. Yeah, so it didn't it didn't make a year and a half for him to to get back, you know. Well, he, I mean he's he's getting back from being awarded a medal, so that could have been a year's worth of paperwork. I don't know. But yes, Christmas Eve 45. My my assumption is is not, but uh, it is possible. Now Bedford Falls is not a real place, so it's a little difficult to figure out what the. What? the Yes, unfortunately. What the weather was like on that day? Uh, I can tell you, it was snowing. I can see it. <laughs> no, I'm talking about in our reality, not necessarily in <laughs> in their reality. But it's a small American <laughs> town that is not in New York. It's well, it's it's in upstate New York that 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 we know. Okay. You know, so the the the, the question is, you know, how. How cold is it really? Well, I've been to New York City on Christmas Day before, and it was pretty chilly. So <laughs> I'm going to guess cold. Right. So in in Fahrenheit, it was uh, it was about 35 degrees, which means it's uh, you know pretty it was it's pretty close to to freezing because freezing is 30. Uh, so yeah, what so 1.7 degrees Celsius. There you go. So it's supposed to be pretty cold. Yeah. Um, you know, and and being that this movie basically takes place a year later, means that they, they maybe they did get it right that it snowed there. You know, unlike uh, you know some some of the previous movies that we've checked in about the weather. You know, like plane trains and automobiles, for instance. <laughs> Who knows? Yes. All right. 
Um, and do you know what time this is? Um, I do not. Please tell me what time is it? Well, we'll find it's out late. tomorrow. We'll find out tomorrow. Late tomorrow time. we'll talk okay. about what time it is. So okay. I'll, I'll keep you in suspense along with everybody else. Because you can figure out approximately what time it is here. Um, so right, we, we see all the cars going going by with uh, all this fake snow coming. We see a whole bunch of different uh, you know places, and then we we hear the the first voice of this movie. I owe everything to George Bailey. Help him, dear father. Okay, now do you know who who this was? Do you know who I'm voice guessing this it's is? Mr. Gower. That is correct. Because yes, yes. it's over Gower's drugstore, and then we go over martinis, we hear martini. That's right. That's right. So Gower's you, hear, you, you hear the owner of the, the, the building that we're seeing. That is correct. So do you know uh, who Mr. Gower was? I mean, do, sorry. Do you know what the name Gower means? Uh, no. No, I do not. Okay, so... I found two different sources. One of them is that uh, so Gower is actually the name of the street where he where Capper worked when he was in Columbia Pictures. He was on Gower Street, and that there was a drugstore that was down the block that everyone used to always go to, which was known as Gower's uh, Drugs. So you know, I, I find it a little interesting that that he decided to use the the you know a real place that he was familiar with as the name of of this very pivotal character, you know, in the whole movie, and name a drugstore after him, especially yeah, based, especially based on the fact that yesterday we talked about it, and and the whole thing about the drugstore, none of that happens in in the original story. You know, this was all something that they added, uh, you know, when when writing the various scripts. Okay, now a gower is a slang term for a person who fabricates stories, especially to make themselves look impressive sophisticated or intelligent it is or it could be a person who generally lies often so i i wouldn't classify mr gower in that way but uh, uh you could say that that's the whole story here they're fabricating a story <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah um, i'm guessing he wasn't named that based on that meaning it was more based on the guy that he knew the the, the street yeah, the street. Yeah, the street. Then, yeah. Right. Um, also, a Jack Gower is a type of drink. It is a bourbon bourbon ginger. Um, that's and, interesting. Yes. Because we have that's not the only surname named after a drink in this film. That is correct. Because there's Martini and there's Bailey. That's right. I wonder how many how many others are named after drinks. I wonder if the person who thought of all the names of uh, you know did. He was, was was Dalton Trumbo a drunk? <laughs> I mean, not for me to say, but yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I was like that. Have you have you ever heard the the term a greedy gower? No. Okay, so a greedy gower is is a term used to describe a company insider that makes a decision for their own self gain at the expense of all the shareholders. Again, it doesn't really fit in here with the idea of Mr. Gower because he's he's not really greedy. He's, I, I would say he's a grieving gower. Sorry, I'm just trying to see if there are any other drinks that are names in this film. Because you have Mary Hatch, and you have, like, Down the Hatch, is how you have a drink. There you go. And Sam, Sam Wainwright? 
Wainwright's not ringing any bells as to being a drink for me. <laughs> um, I think I think it's just those few. That's uh, something to keep an eye out for. Okay. So my first question here is, how does Mr. Gower know that George is in trouble? So Was he at Martini's uh, in this reality? We don't know at what point in the evening this is. Because we know at the very end of the film that Mary goes around town trying to raise some money. So this could these people could be praying after that happens? That wouldn't make sense. Well, I guess the real question is, and, and we'll, we'll never know the answer to this, is how long was George standing on the bridge You know, before he's getting ready to jump? Yes. That's part of what it is. Because maybe, maybe Martini, I mean, again, I, I hope everyone who's listening to this has seen the movie, so we're, we're sort of spoiling things. But maybe Martini then called Mary and said, Mary, you know, George is in trouble. You should, you got to try and figure out what's going on. And then maybe she then went and spoke to Uncle Billy yeah. to find out the, the whole, uh, you know, the whole information. Well, I, well, I don't know. Well, Uncle Billy does, Uncle Billy phones Mary just after George leaves, I think. Right. Uncle Billy. Uh, but what, whether, so it, I mean, whether he actually tells her at that point or not, I don't know. And she would have just said, oh, he must be at uh, Martini's and Gower is there too. I'm going to go try and catch him there. Yep, yep. Thankfully, we know Uncle Billy uh, ran into Gowron whilst he was looking for the, for the money. I don't know. Uh, it's, a, it's a small town in which news seems to travel very quickly. Very quickly. Especially, <laughs> especially about... It's all around town that you are kissing that violent lady. What are you talking about? That's, that's right. Happened. That's right. And it's all around <laughs> town that you're that you're about to go commit suicide. That you need help. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, there's some kind of hive network going on there. That's right. <laughs> That's true. So at this point, then uh, uh, the the scene changes and we, we see a building that says on at Martini's. Which, uh, as we know from later on, this is the pub slash restaurant uh, owned by uh, uh, Mr. Martini. Indeed. And uh, we hear a voice over that says, Joseph, Jesus and Mary, help my friend, Mr. Bailey. You know, it's funny that he that he's his friend, Mr. Bailey. Because, you know, later on in the movie, he'll say, you're my best friend. And he calls it Mr. Bailey, as opposed to George. I Well, I guess when they first started out their relationship, he was uh, he was Mr. Bailey because it was a position of, of some importance. He, run, he run, runs the building alone. And that's just kind of how they stuck it. Right. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm sure George says to him, call me George, call me George. And he's like, I will do, Mr. Bailey. It's really his reply every time. Uh-huh. There's just a, a little... A little bit they have together. Okay, could be. But here he's talking to, you know, Joseph, Jesus, and Mary. You know, he's not talking to George. <laughs> uh, he never had to borrow money from them. That's true. They were never... It's a good point. Mr. Escarrot. Yeah. And then, uh, once again, the, the the scene changes again. You know, we see, uh, we see a house now that we've, we've never seen the exterior of before. This is the only time we actually see this exterior of this building. And then we hear a voice from inside saying, help my son George tonight. Obviously, it means it's George's mother. <laughs> so we see the inside of the house, but never the outside again. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's... I mean, I think this is a clever way to start the movie by showing us, you know, the, the, the problems that are going on. You know, that everyone is everyone is, is praying for, for, for this man that we don't know who he is. You know, and then we get a, a shot just of a street. 
where you can't really see the, the house that's there. And again, it's inconsequential because we will never see this house in the movie ever again. We will hear about it. In a few weeks, uh, a character says, I'm going to go home. But that, that's about as close as we, 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 we know about this. So then this time we hear a, another character say, he never thinks of himself God. That's why he's in trouble. And uh, do, do you know who this is? I do not. Who is this? This is Bert, is this what, the, Bert the taxi cop. driver? No, this is Bert the cop. Oh, Bert the cop. Okay. Because I thought it was over the, the garage. No, not yet. That's the next, that's the next shot. Um, so, okay. All right. The, so we, we, we hear Bert the cop, and then the next thing we hear is we the, the, it's actually a shot moving, and we see that it says Bedford Falls Garage. And then we hear another voice say, George is a good guy. Give him a break, God. And that is Ernie, the uh, taxi driver. Now, it's Bert and Ernie. Bert and Ernie, exactly. So what do you think? Do you think, do you think it, it, the, they, the, the characters on Sesame Street were named after them or not? Uh, I have heard you talk about this before, and I think it was just coincidence. No, uh, yes, it well, is. No, it's never been confirmed. It's yeah. never been confirmed. But basically, the information that I got was is that that uh, you know many people believe that Bert and Ernie of Sesame Street were named after uh, Bert the cop and Ernie the cab driver. But in the there, there's a claim by the writer of of uh, Sesame Street that the names were just coincidence. But despite that, there is a Sesame Street holiday special of Elmo Saves Christmas, which references the rumor because they have a scene of Bert and Ernie walking past the TV set uh, where the movie is on. And then they're surprised by hearing the line, Bert, Ernie, what's the matter with you guys? You were here on my wedding night. And the two of them have like a shocked look on their face. I'd love it if just the names, Bert and Ernie, throughout all of fictional history, or written fiction, just are always drawn to whatever there's a Bert characters and Ernie characters as well, like in Shakespeare, like the two gentlemen of Verona are Bert and Ernie, like <laughs> like something. <laughs> Through all of history, they just, these names keep getting pulled out together. I'd love that. That that would be fun. I don't think it's the case. I don't think so either. But it would it would be fun to to to, to know that that would happen. And then uh, the the shot changes again, and we we see a big house, which it, it's actually it it looks. I mean, this is a humongous house. This is a Home Alone style mansion. That's right. That's right. And you know, the, we hear another woman say, "I love him, dear Lord. Watch over him tonight." And, you know, that's Mary. So this is actually George's house. George has a very nice house. I yes. mean, we know Mary it's fixes it up. the nicest house in town. <laughs> that's right. We know Mary fixes yeah. it up. But still, it, it looks looks very, very nice. Yeah. And they got it very cheap, too. It is. It was a, a shell of a house. That's right. Burnt out house. <laughs> and then we, we, you know, as it still shows the house, we hear two other voices. One of them is a little girl that says, please, God, something's the matter with Daddy. And that's uh, Janie, his elder daughter, who who says that. And then we hear another girl say, please bring Daddy back. And that's Zuzu. (laughs) She gives her her tearful plea to try and, you know, get from her father, you know, try and find out what's going on. 
especially with her pedals, Zuzu's pedals. <laughs> you know, after we see this, again, I, I think the special effects are great here, that it all looks as if there's real snow falling on all of these places as the, you know, as everyone is praying, or as least we hear the voices of everybody praying. And then uh, the screen fades to black, and we, we sort of see some, like, stars, but you can't really make them out that well. But uh, that, it's, it's, it's a nice effect because you have the snow. It's so the house is shot from above and the camera kind of zooms out and you have the snow falling and it transitions into stars. There's like the, there's, there's like little white dots on screen from the snow that becomes the stars. Yeah, it's a nice little transition. Mm -hmm. That's right. I, li I like the way they do that, too. Um, all right. So you have anything else you want to say about the, this miniature? I, I kind of it's more like how this matches up with the end. Okay. Yeah, I know you said yesterday we're not we're not going to talk about the religion. I just want to make one quick point about it. Is they have all of these course. people praying to whomever their god may be. Like God, give him a break. God, he's such a good guy. But the whole moral that's I feel like isn't drilled down enough is that it's not God or any kind of religion that fixes this. It's the people. It's the people that are doing the praying are the, what are what actually solves the problem. They're the ones who come together to help the guy. And that is the moral. But I feel like it should be tied back into. Not, it wasn't the praying that helped. It was just the people who are doing the praying, getting up and going and helping me. I'd like that to be the takeaway people get from this film. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> okay, no, but there, there is the point that that uh, the the idea of the help here is that Clarence, you know, is the one who's going to save his life. No one else saves his life. Everyone else saves him from going to jail. Which, when we get to the end of this this movie, we'll talk about that too. It doesn't make sense that they're going to save him from going to jail. Okay, because you know it does. It doesn't work that that theoretically someone steals money and they get caught, and someone else is is gonna come and say, "All right, here's the money, no problem," you know, for a company. It, it, it's not as simple as they they make it seem here. I feel like it could be. I feel like that when okay, you're going to talk about this in a few months' time when they have the run on the bank and he uses his own money, like he loans that to people. So keep the building alone open. And he, he says to everyone, this is a loan. Pay it back. This is a loan. It's now eight grand he's getting for everyone. That's just a return on the loan with investment. All these people he loaned money to, they're now returning that personal loan and to his company. No, but he first of all, he only gave out $2,000, and now he needs to get 8000 yes. back. That's, that's six grand worth of interest. Uh, no, but I'm, my assumption <laughs> is, is that they're all loaning, they're, they're loaning this money to him so that he doesn't get in trouble. I'm pretty okay. There's a guy I can't remember. Is Eustace or something? Is sat there tallying up. He, he can tidy up the books to make this work. Eunice. This is Eustace. Eustace. Yeah, it's he'll he'll make it work. It's fine. I trust Eustace. Uh, yeah, this is the same guy who thinks that if you have uh, Papa Dollar and Mama Dollar, that they're gonna you know they're gonna act like rabbits and they'll have more money the following day. They say that would be nice. <laughs> He's not expecting that. <laughs> you never know. They might be expecting it. <laughs> Okay, all right, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to take this film at face value of, yeah, uh, the, it's, it's all okay. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right, so every Tuesday we have a segment called Off the Beaten Track Uplifting Story Edition. So I decided that this season we're going to, you know, try and hear some 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 uplifting stuff as opposed to what we did last season <laughs> when they were, we were talking about plane crashes. So... Jay, do you have a, an uplifting story to, to 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 take us away from all those uh, 
disasters from last season? So I, I, I had to think about this one. This was a, this was quite difficult to come up with. I couldn't think of a great, like, uh, pure, true moment in my life. Like, yes, this was this pinnacle. Like, I look back on this moment, like, this is a great thing that happened. And, but then I thought about the film we're talking about, and it's not, there's no great big grand gestures. It's it's a, a lifetime of small things and helping a small thing. So I, I look back on what was what's like one small thing that somebody did for me that has really impacted my life over time. And my growing up, my my parents were uh, not great cooks. They'll be a customer as well. They never did a lot of cooking. Uh, so I, when I moved out at 18, I also could not cook. I'd, I'd lived a very sheltered life food wise. I'd I'd had never really had like pizza or pasta or curry before leaving home, which are like staples of, of food in this country. Uh, and in my second year of university, I lived with a guy called Matt Blake, who I had previously worked in a restaurant. And he was like a, a film student kind of guy. And we got on really well. And he, um, we both finished the courses. We had like a month left in our house before we had to leave. And he took a week out of his, of his life and he taught me how to cook. But he didn't have to do that. It was just a really nice, I look back on that week and it was a really nice week uh, kind of spent together just I, we we cooked for the whole house. There were eight, eight people in the house. Were like hangers on, and friends would come around. We cooked for the whole house every night for a week. And then on that last day, I cooked a three course meal on my own uh, for everyone. And it was it's just a really like that has impacted me so much that I've now cook I, I cook from scratch pretty much every day. But most of the cooking I do is I'm, I'm still I'm no great chef. I'm, I, I, most of what I do is still fairly basic, but. At that point in time, I was having like frozen mashed potatoes, these little patties of, of mashed potatoes out of the out of the freezer, put it in a microwave, and that was dinner. Everything just came out of the freezer, chuck it in, heat it up, and that was like bland, ready meals. That's all I could do. But now, I just look back on. I I, I haven't spoken to Matt for a long time, so I'm going to message him uh, based on this podcast. This has inspired me to reach out to him and just kind of tell him how he affected my. Oh life. wow, that's really so, yeah, cool. Matt. Matt Blake told me how to cook, and I just want to say thank you to him for doing it. Wow. So thank you, Matt Blake, from from all of us. Because <laughs> now Jay actually eats, eats uh, you know, he doesn't have to eat frozen stuff all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm sure your wife is happy about that, too. Absolutely. And we did actually, one of his friends was like a, a film student who did film the whole thing and was going to try and edit it into some kind of online video course. But that never happened, which I'm grateful for because that would have been terrible. And just so cringeworthy watching that. Yes. Cooking yeah. cooking with Jake Wood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably probably wouldn't have worked out as well. <laughs> All right, great. So Jay, you wanna once again tell people uh, where they can get in touch with you? Yep, so you mentioned it yesterday. Uh another podcast I've I've finished is Conair Podcast. Conair the podcast where Mark and I went through. You can find that. Uh, Con Air Pod, pretty much everywhere. <laughs> Similar to here, but with with Con Air, another very different film. <laughs> yes, slightly, slightly different. <laughs> All right, great. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Move Around Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter, which is now X, and you can find me on my website, movearoundminute.com. So until tomorrow, hot dog. Hot dog. I love you truly. Truly did Life with its sorrow Life with its tears